Today, we're going to look at a subject on wealth. Now, all throughout the book of Proverbs, as you read through it, and hopefully some of you have been reading through, following each day, reading a a chapter of Proverbs each day, you will see that it talks a lot about our money and how we handle our money. It's always uh, interesting when people talk about church and they say, oh, they always preach about money. Well, we really don't uh, preach about money that much. But we do need to talk about it. Uh, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven. So I guess that, um, that it's something that was, it would be nice for us to understand. And especially because money is something that we all deal with. Uh, I was just over here talking to some of the gals that are getting ready to go to college and, uh, and they're all excited. And, and the reason a lot of times that people go to college is to get a degree. And so when they get that degree, they will get a job. And parents are saying, yes. And then they get that job and they get that job for what reason? Just to have fellowship. Uh, no, they get that job so they get a paycheck and then they get that paycheck so they can live and, and move on with life and, and, and begin to kind of establish themselves. And, uh, then if there's a desire, you build a family and on and on and on. But that takes money to do those kind of things. And so money is all around us, and uh, we deal with it every day. And um, so in the book of Proverbs, you look at it as if these are the wisest men on the planet, and they are giving you financial advice. And what Proverbs is, is it is vertical wisdom, wisdom that comes from above to help us with horizontal living. So if you want to take advice from a lot of different people, I would want to go to God's word and take words that spoken through some of the wisest men on the planet, through our heavenly father, our creator, and they talk about wealth. So keeping in mind that and setting that up for this message, I want to give you just a number of points that every one of us needs to keep in mind when we think about wealth. And this is something for all ages, and I would really drive it home to our young people uh, because there are some people that are sitting around here that say, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I'm paying for those mistakes. I wish I had knew, known some of these things when I was younger. You have the opportunity as a young person to begin to set your direction on finances and wealth and money, how you look at it uh, and, and how you deal with it. So today, we're going to give you a message that's hopefully very practical, straight out of the Bible, on how we are supposed to handle our wealth. Now, the first thing that I want us to look at is the first point, and that is don't put your trust in money. Find your security in God. Don't put your trust in money. Find your security in God. Now, this is a huge beginning because too often we get so wrapped up in making money that that's where we put our trust and our dependence on. Let me tell you what the book of Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28 says this. It says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Now, look at the first part of this. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. That word trust in the Hebrew context is a word that means to have confidence, to depend on. It carries the idea of safety and security. It means you're casting all of your hopes for the present and for the future on the almighty dollar. This is where I put my security. This is where I put my hope. This is where I put my dependence. It's all about money. 
and you take your money and your riches and that's where your security is. If I have enough, I feel secure. If I don't have enough, oh my gosh, I'm insecure over here. My whole life's falling apart. Everything you would base would be on your riches, your wealth, your money. That's where your trust is. But listen, we all know that your money can be here today and gone tomorrow. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 covers this really well. In Proverbs, it says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You ever had your money do that? All it takes is to follow the stock market and all of a sudden you can get a stock market plunge and you feel like you've lost a lot of money. Real estate can lose its value. Um, you can have a, uh, checkbook that's looking good today and you feel like you're in a really good position. And then all of a sudden unexpected expenses happen. And then you take a look at it again and you're saying, we're hanging on by a thread. There can be natural disasters that can come that can take your home or affect your business on there. And that can, can hurt you over and over and over. You can just see how money can be here today and gone tomorrow. And if we put our security in that, we are on some weak ground because it can be gone in a hurry. It's amazing the things that can happen. It could be your house. It could be your car. It could be your health. And before you know it, you get the bills on it and you say, Hey, all this great stockpile, this money I was counting on over here, it can be gone. So I don't need to put my security on there. Now, money is important to live and survive in our culture. However, trust and complete dependence on riches sets you up for false security, fear, and disappointment. Don't place your trust in your riches. Find your security in God. Look at the uh, second half of uh, Proverbs eleven twenty eight. It says, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So he said, on one hand, he says, if you put your trust in riches, they're going to fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. We began this series on Proverbs with Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, which is that says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we talked about what that meant, the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is an awe of God and his holiness, but it's even more than that. It is the fact that you have a desire to please him. You have a desire to live for him. You have a desire to live for his commandments and obey his commandments. And so I'm in awe of him, but I love him. And I'm in such awe that I want to do the things that he says that I am to do. So I turn from evil and I attempt to keep his commandments. And I try to live right and I try to develop a righteous character. And when it says the righteous, that is those who fear the Lord. It is those who put their security in God. If you put your security in God, he says, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. These are the people who apply God's standards and live up to his commandments. They find their security in God and they understand their role of riches. And you see, we need to understand that, that we are given wealth. And when we give this wealth, the purpose is, is that we're, is to remind us of God's provision. Let me take you to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's closing out this letter. Look what he says. He says, but those who desire to be rich. Now that word desire is a word that means to have money as your goal in life. 
As you read this, I'm going to take a little sidestep with you. This does not mean that you're not so, supposed to uh, have some uh, foresight and some drive to try to do the best you can do. I'm not saying that. It says, but those who desire, who make money to be their goal. If you desire money to be your goal, to be rich, they will fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This word plunge is a word that means like the sinking of a ship. It's like men that are drowning. And it says, if you go that direction, it's going to plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then that verse that everyone seems to be quoting, that next verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kind of evils. The key to this, and hopefully you know this, it says, for the love of money is a root of evil. Money is not the root of evil. It's the love of money. It's what we, it's, 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 it's how we, we look at money. And it says, if you love money, you make it your God in essence. It is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, pierce themselves, with many pangs. And see, there's nothing wrong with having money. It's when money has us that problems begin. And as he's writing to Timothy, he's warning these, and warning these believers and warning these leaders in the church. He says, listen, don't you go have your desire just to be rich. There needs to put your security in God. And so he wraps it up in verse 17. And look what he says here. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So where are you supposed to put your security? In Proverbs, it says, we don't put our security in riches, but we're to be the righteous who fear the Lord. The New Testament here, Apostle Paul says, don't put your security in riches, but put them on God. He is the one who provides us with everything that we need. Don't put your trust in money. Find your security in God. That's point number one. If you can go through life trying to be, you can be as successful as you want to be. You can try to make the most of your profession. And, and then whatever benefits come from that, praise God on that. But that's not where my security is. Because you got to understand, riches can come and go and then fly away like on eagles' wings. Number two, I thought I'd give you a statement that's got as more M's as you can think of. The method and motive for making money matters. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> the method and motive for making money matters. The method and motive for making money matters. So there's one thing just to think about money, but there's another to think about how do you make the money? The method and the motive for making money matters. And where we get this? Proverbs 10.2. In Proverbs 10.2, it says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. And what that means is that whenever you make money by being dishonest, unethical, or heavy-handed, you are procuring money that's being manipulated by man and not being blessed by God. You are forfeiting your integrity. And there are opportunities that will come into your life, no matter what your age is, sometime in your life, you will have an opportunity to make money through unethical, dishonest means. Those schemes or, or situations will come at you, and you got to make the decision. Is it worth it or not? Is it worth it to get that extra money to be able to forfeit my integrity? 
I've had people say to me, they say, well, uh, you know, well, what if you did that, but yet you got a whole lot of money and then you gave it to the church? See, and then you kind of justify it on there. Well, let me just ask you a question. Do you think that God winks at our unethical behavior when we attach aggressive giving to ill-gotten gains? So do you think that God says, oh, that's okay because you're going to take this money that you got incorrectly and wrongly and you're going to give it over here? Not at all. There's no need to be forfeiting our integrity and go against the things of God in order to make more money. Boyd Bailey has uh, written a devotional called Seeking God in the Proverbs, and I want you to look at his statement. He says, be careful not to allow the end of philanthropy to justify the means of dishonesty. I'm going to hold it there for a moment for you to digest that. Be careful not to allow the end of philanthropy to justify the means of dishonesty. You see... If when it comes to money, oftentimes we will try to justify anything to be able to make some more money. And part of it is to say, well, you know, if I get a lot, I'll turn around and I'll give it to the church or I'll give it to missions or I'll give it to the needy over here. And uh, I think Boyd Bailey hits it well. Be careful not to allow the end of philanthropy to justify the means of dishonesty. Another way of saying that, don't compromise character for cash. Don't compromise character for cash. God does care how you make your money. And so it does matter. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. We could stand here and I could give you illustration after illustration of people whose name has been um, destroyed, their character destroyed, because of financial decisions that they made. In the book of Proverbs, it says a good name is more desirable than great riches. And so knowing that, your method and your motive for making money does matter, okay? Number one, don't put your trust in riches. <clears throat> put your secure, find your security in God. Number two it is the method and the motive for making money matters. Be a person of integrity. And if you will stay as a person of integrity when it comes to financial matters, you will be blessed. I can guarantee it. And you're going to be able to go through life and maintain your good name. All right? Number three, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. So you don't put your trust in riches. You make your money, you make it in a good way. And then once you get it, you need to honor the Lord with your wealth. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. Incredible. Came right out of my point. Honor your Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Focus on this for just a moment. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That means everything that you have, all your assets, we are to honor the Lord and the first fruits of your produce. We need to understand wealth is not an end of itself, but it's a means to a greater goal of honoring God. You've got a choice. You can either honor God or you can honor yourself. Peace and contentment will flow from wealth that honors God. Frustration and fear and insecurity will consume your heart when all you want to do is honor yourself. Whenever funds come, whenever we receive wealth, we have a choice. I'm either going to honor God or I'm going to honor myself. That's it. And what God's word is saying is that when we choose to honor him with our wealth, you're going to see peace and security to come upon your heart versus being ruled by fear and insecurity. So the question is, well, how do you honor the Lord with your wealth, Danny? 
It says honor him with your wealth. How do you do it? Well, you start out with the second part of this, with the first fruits of all your produce, with the first fruit of all your produce. So let me give you two ways that we're going to honor the Lord with wealth. Number one is to tithe your first fruits. Tithe your first fruits. Now, tithe is a word that means about 10%. It means give 10%. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about whenever I talk about tithe, this is not a church thing. It's not a pastor thing. It's not a Southern Baptist thing. It's a God thing. And let me just tell you real quickly where it comes from. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. As God is laying down rules for his people, he says this, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's and is holy to the Lord. So what God has said is that as they would bring in their crops, you take that first 10% and you just give it to the Lord. For us, when you get your paycheck, take that 10% and you give it to the Lord. And he says, it's the fruit of the trees is the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. It's already his. You're just giving it back to him. Well, then he goes further in the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. So that means you take that full tithe, you bring it to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And he says, and if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, bring the tithe to me, and I'm going to bless it. So he says, tithe the first fruits. You say, well, that's Old Testament. It's an amazing number of people that say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. It, they don't talk about it in the New Testament. Well, I got to disagree with that. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus himself, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. I mean, you're taking everything that you've got and you're giving a tithe of that, but yet you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. This is what you've neglected. He says, you have neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. So what they were doing is they were tithing stuff over here, keeping the law, but they were forgetting about the meaning of that law and the, and the intent of that law. And that is that you're to have justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. He says, the tithing part, you ought to have done that without neglecting the others. You're tithing, mint, dill, cumin, that's good but you're neglecting justice, mercy, and and, uh, faithfulness. He says, you need to tithe. So God's word says that there is to be a tithe, but it says tithe of the first fruits. And we're sitting here saying, what is first fruits? Not not many of us are agricultural. Not many of us live by the farm and say, okay, I'll come by and give that first 10% of my potatoes uh, that come in. What is first fruits? First fruits are the first and the best of the harvest. That's what it means. It means giving God our first and our best. So when he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, give him your first fruits, it means you give him the first and best of the harvest. That means you give God your first, give God your best. Translate that into 2015, it means that God's first in our budget. He comes first in our budget. God is not honored with us paying everyone else, including our hobbies and our entertainment, and then we tip him with our leftovers. That's not first fruits. The first and the best. It's not, if I've got anything left over, God, I'll give that to you. That's not first fruits. When God comes first in your budget, hang in there, that means he even comes ahead of taxes. 
And people get into discussions a lot about, do you tithe on the gross or do you tithe on the net? Uh, I think in pastors, when we write our book on top 10 questions we get, that falls in the top 10. All right. Am I supposed to tithe on the gross or am I supposed to tithe on the net? Well, it's pretty simple for me. I always say tithe off the gross. The reason I say you tithe off the gross is that it says first fruits. And when I get a paycheck, that's my first fruits. You say, well, but the government took this out. Well, if you want to wait till after taxes, then what you've said is the government is first in my budget. And not only do I give money to the government first, but then they reduce my baseline for which I make my calculation as to what I give God. So God says, here's your first fruits. You go, well, I can't really uh, give you off of that. Let's get the government out of here. Then now this is when I'm going to come to you, God. I'm sorry. I got a problem with that. So I would believe that God says right off the gross. It's what you get. Who's first in your budget? Who's first in the budget? Somebody has got to have that place of honor. And does anything in your financial priorities carry more weight than God? Just go home, look through your checkbook, and look at your credit card statements. Just go over the last three, four months and begin to find out who's got first place, who's got honor in, in my money. When it says to honor, the God, honor God with your wealth, and he says we're to give of the first fruits, first fruits means the first and the best of the harvest. And I just, all my life growing up, that's the first check I wrote. And I just made sure that I gave that tithe and more to the church and then to other, other ministries. So that's the first thing. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits. But second of all is to leave a God-honoring financial legacy. How do you honor God with your wealth? You leave a God-honoring financial legacy. You honor God not just with the 10% that you give to the church or to whatever ministries you give it to, but also how you live with that other 90% and what you leave behind when you die. You want to use your money to increase God's prestige in this world. And see, for all of us, our probably just about all of us, our greatest act of stewardship will be on how we direct the distribution of our personal assets when we die. You know, we spend all of our life trying to manage our money so we have enough to live on, and then there comes retirement. We want to make sure we've got enough to retire. We want to make sure we've got enough to send kids to college or, or help them out or help grandkids when they come along. And we're constantly spending all of our life doing this. And then all of a sudden, death comes. We take that last breath. And if we die, then here it is. All these assets, our houses, our cars, our investments, everything's just sitting there. And it's an amazing number of people don't even have a will. And so what happens is some judge determines what happens to all your money. All those things you worked so hard for. Well, you were so picky as to how you would distribute things while you were living. I think we should also have that same pickiness to say, when I die, this is where I want my funds to go. And so everyone, to leave a God-honoring financial legacy, needs to have a will and lay out where those funds go. And then what I would encourage you to do is that at the end of your life, direct a portion of those funds to go to God-honoring ministries, kingdom ministries. It could be a church. It could be a parachurch. It could be anything that is giving a glory and honor to God. And that will allow your money, your wealth, to continue to make a difference. And it will honor God's kingdom. 
Uh, we've had some, some opportunities here in our church. Uh, Coach Thompson Reynolds. If you go to, go to Vestadium, uh, Vestavia, the football stadium's name, uh, Thompson Reynolds, uh, Reynolds Stadium. And he was an educator, a teacher. And so he and his brother, uh, they never married. And then when they died, they left their estate and they left a great portion to the church. It was like $1.2 million. And so when that was left to us, we took half of that. And with half of that, we were in the midst of every generation and we were able to complete the southernmost part of our campus. All that parking that you see down south from the student building and that pavilion that we have out there, we were able to take those funds and make that a reality. And what happens is so exciting when I was thinking about this is that from the end of May to the end of July, five days a week, we have over a 100 kids down there on kids camp that are out there on those bottom parking areas and in that field and in that pavilion, and they are hearing the gospel every day and their parents and their families. One of our greatest outreaches we have is what we do right there in the summer. And then you take everything else that happens throughout the life of our church. So much happens on that southern part of our campus. And it was the reality of that is because Thompson Reynolds wanted to have a God honoring kingdom legacy. And that's what he decided to do. And that other half hour we put towards debt retirement that allowed us to complete parts of every generation and put us in a position to do our chapters campaign to where when we get to the end of 2016, we will be a church family that will have renovated everything on this campus. We will have invested $26 million on this campus over the last 15 years, and we will have given $32 million to missions. And when we enter into 2017, we will, have, we will be debt-free with a blank slate to say, God, what is this you want us to do? We don't need to put any more towards buildings. We don't need to put any more towards debt. We're just wide open for whatever it is you want us to do. And what helps us to be in that position is because Thompson Reynolds left funds to help us to do that. I got an email from uh, Ruston, Louisiana. And I was pastor there uh, for eight and a half years before I came here. And they sent me an email inviting me if I wanted to come to the 20th anniversary of the Crisis Pregnancy Center. And it got me thinking that um, when I was pastor there, there was across the street, there was a home where some senior adults that were members of our church lived. And once they got to the point to where they, they couldn't take care of themselves and they moved into another facility, they were going to go on and, and sell their house. And what they decided to do is they wanted to give it to the church since it was just right across the street. They said, we want to give this house to the church for you to use. We received that gift of the house. As we received the gift of the house, at the same time, there was some working with crisis pregnancy that was happening through another church. It was kind of a small thing, and they ran out of room and, and had staffing issues, and there was nothing. There was nothing in the city of Ruston. And Ruston is really home close to the two universities, Louisiana Tech University and Grambling University, about five miles from there. And with all these college girls, they're, they're going to find themselves in some bad situations and then others throughout there was no ministry. And as soon as we received that, we prayed about it and said, this is what God wants us to do. So we took that house and it became a crisis pregnancy center. And for 20 years, it has now served over 8,000 women in 20 years that have come through there to get counseling and guidance and direction. You see, that was a legacy that was left by a fine couple who'd spent their life, invested their life in the First Baptist Church of Ruston. So... If when it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, 
We honor him while we're living. But then also when we step off of this planet, whatever assets we've got, however you want to distribute it, I would just encourage you to find some type of ministry or something that you leave portions of your debt to that. Okay? Portions of not your debt, portions of your money <laughs> to that. Hey, I'm, I'm going to leave the church 800,000 of debt. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Let's, now, let me go to the final point over here. And the final point is, this is like a financial seminar to where I'm going to tell you how to increase your wealth. Whoa, how to increase your wealth. Well, we run out of time today. We're going to come back next Sunday, and you come back, and we're going to teach. No. We're going to look right in the book of Proverbs and see, so how do you increase your wealth? What, is, what does he say about how are you supposed to increase your wealth? Number one, give out of obedience and not out of abundance. Give out of obedience and not out of abundance. What I mean by that is don't wait till you have lots of money and then say, well, now we can afford to give to God. You give out of obedience to his command to make him first and to give of the first fruits. Too many people sit there and say, hey, pastor, when I get more money, I'm going to tithe. There's nothing in the Bible that says anything about that. It says you're to give out of obedience. And when God blesses you with something, you turn around and you give a portion of that back to him. Give out of obedience and not out of abundance. You say, well, Danny, how does that increase my wealth? Proverbs 3.10. Proverbs 3.10 says, then... Remember, honor the Lord with your wealth. Give them the first fruits. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It says there will be an overflowing. Malachi 3.10 said that when we bring the tithes to the storehouse, put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there's no more need. Folks, we need to understand we don't have a stingy God. We serve a God who loves to give and he loves to give even more to his children who understand what money is to be used for and how to handle it. And God says, just give me out of obedience. As you give out of obedience, then God's going to bless you back. And this is not one of those give to get type of sermons. Not saying that at all. If you've got the right heart and you want to give of the things that God has given you to go towards kingdom ministry and be obedient and giving to him, in amazing ways, God seems to come up and handle needs. And we could give testimony for testimony of how he's done it. And I could do that in our own life, in our family's life, of how there are things had no idea how we could do that. I, since I've been your pastor, I've had the joy of leading you in three uh, capital campaigns. And in each one of those capital campaigns, we pledged a figure higher than we had any idea of how we could meet it. And in every time, God has been more than faithful to be able to allow us to meet that. So I'm telling you, just give out of obedience. It's not strictly out of abundance. Number two, set up a system for saving. As practical as you can get, set up a system for saving. Proverbs 13, 11 says this. He says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Whoever gathers little by little will increase it. You need to have a process in place to steadily save over time. Set up a system for saving. You know, in God's economy, it's those who diligently deposit smaller amounts in a secure place who reap the rewards. Practical advice, you know, if I was just talking to a young person, I would say, whenever I got my first job, this is what I would do. I would take my first 10% and I'd tithe it to the church. I'd take my second 10% and put it in savings. Hey, you can put it in a 401k. You can put it in some other investment account, but take 10%, give it to God, take 10%, put it to savings, and then live on the other 80%. 
And then as life goes on, you want to go beyond 10% in giving, go beyond that. If you want to go beyond 10% in saving, go beyond that. But just start out and say, this is where I am. I'm going to live on 80% and go from there. Wealth gained hastily is going to dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. We live in a materialistic culture that wants to feed that beast within us that say, I need this and I need it now. And in fact, our culture not only encourages to spend all we have, but encourages to go into debt to have more stuff that we can't afford. And so what happens is, is that we get deeper, deeper in debt and it begins to wrap its arms around us and just suck the life out of us. I will tell you that if you honor God obediently with your tithe and then set money aside for saving and you take that 80%, you live for him, you will not have a problem with debt. And it will curb your spending appetite, change your perspective, and in the end, it will increase your wealth. In Proverbs 21.5 says this, it says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent will lead to profit. Set up savings. Number three, the last point is this, is to generously give to the needy. Generously give to the needy. What an interesting plan we have here to increase your wealth. Give obediently to God, set up a savings, and then generously give to the needy. Proverbs eleven twenty four. He says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. This is incredible. One gives freely, yet he grows all the richer. I keep giving, and now I'm just, I'm getting richer over here. Another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. Because everything's focused on getting stuff, and you never get enough stuff. Look at Proverbs 28, 27. Proverbs 20, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. Your honorable youths of wealth for Jesus' sake means you're giving to the needy. And when you give to the needy, when you take money, you give to the needy, this may mean food, clothing, shelter, clean water, medical supplies uh, for a village. It could be combating human trafficking. It could be having Bibles translated into languages halfway around the world. Just think about what you can be giving to. And it says, if we will generously give to the needy, find those things, those people that are in need, and then give of those things, then the Bible says the more we give away, then God somehow circles around and meets our needs. You know, in all my years of living, I've never run into somebody who says, I went bankrupt because I was tithing. I've never, never had that. And I've just really run into anybody that says, I just gave away too much of, of my money. Now, I'm not asking you to go crazy on some things, but I'm just saying you pray to God and then let him speak to your heart. And when you see a need there and he brings that need, we're to give to it. And we're to try to meet those needs. Matthew Henry, who's a Puritan scholar, uh, phrased it this way. He said, God will bless you with an increase of that which is for use, not for show, for giving away, not for hoarding. Those who do good with what they have shall have more to do, more good with. God doesn't give us money just to show or to hoard, but he gives it and he wants us to give it away. And if you get in to the habit of giving generously to others, then God honors that. And in ways that I can't explain, it just seems that needs come up and they get, and they get met. Um, we had, um, 
We had two sisters, older sisters that were members of our church, the Wright sisters. And uh, they got up into their either high 80s or low 90s, I was trying to remember. And when one passed away, then just short time, the second one passed away. Just dear ladies, sweet, sweet ladies. And, and, and they left monies to different places around here. And they left some money to Shades Mountain Baptist Church. And one of the things they left was they left $125,000 that they wanted to go to the budget and 125000 that would go to missions. And, they, and when they gave 125000 that went to missions, as soon as we heard about that, at that same time, I was reading about a ministry called Feed My Starving Children. And I began to research it. And it's a great opportunity to where they bring all the ingredients, we pack in volunteers, we pack all these, uh, these food packets, and then they box them up and they send it to, uh, to countries where children need food. And in this particular instance, uh, one of them was go to Haiti after they'd had a lot of the storms down there. And, um, but it's kind of expensive, and I wasn't sure where the money would come. Well, all of a sudden, we got this word from the Wright sister, so we were able to take half of that money, 62.5, and put it down on this particular program. Now, because they left that, what did we do with that? Well, over three days, we brought together 1,600 volunteers, and we packed about, I think it was over 300,000 meals, and we were able to feed 880 children for one year. There were enough meals to, to feed 880 children for one year. Our people got so excited about it that then they said, let's do it two more years. And so that money was like a seed gift to get other people interested in it. And we began to set monies aside. And so over the next two years, we ended up having 5,000 volunteers. We packed 1.1 million things of food, which would feed over 3,000 children for a year. So almost 4,000 children in three years have been able to be fed for an entire year with nutritious meals that they would have never had. And it was all because some sisters wanted to leave some funds to the church or to a kingdom-honoring enterprise. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And so if you're just trying to keep it in mind, keep all these points in mind, how do you increase your wealth? Tithe, save, and give. Tithe, save, and give. Give of your 10% to your church, to ministry. Have a plan of saving. And then give generously to the needy whenever that opportunity comes. You know, as we focus in on this message and we think about wealth and how we are to handle our wealth, one of the great passages of Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And in this passage, it's it's given by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth when he's talking about giving. They are taking up an offering for a church in Jerusalem, for the, for the Christians in Jerusalem. And as he's trying to take up this offering, he writes a letter to the church at Corinth. And in the midst of, of talking about why we should give, look what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He was in heaven. He stepped out of heaven. He stepped out of his place of royalty there in heaven to come onto earth. And he says, he became, for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now you can look at this and say, if Christ was willing to become poor, so we may be rich in grace and heirs of all things, should we not also be willing to part with our own earthly possessions? Because when he says you might become rich, it doesn't mean rich in money. It means rich 
in the blessings of God, rich in grace, rich in that it says we are heirs of all things and that everything Christ have, we will have and that we spend eternity with him in heaven. All of this is possible because of what Jesus Christ did and that he stepped out of heaven onto earth, living a life of 33 years, a perfect life, never sinned, showing us who the father was and teaching us about how we should live life and how we should honor our father. But then he went to the cross and he died a cruel death. And as he went to the cross, he took all the sins of all mankind upon himself and was nailed to that tree. And as he was nailed to that cross, he was paying the penalty that each one of us deserved. And he said, I'll go from being rich in heaven to being poor right here. And I am going to take all of the sins on myself. And he did that. And for six hours, he was suspended between heaven and earth. And for six hours, through all that pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain, through all those hours, he was paying our penalty so that we could be rich with the blessings of grace. And when he died, they took his body down from the cross and they put him in a tomb and for three days he was buried. But on the third day, what we celebrate is Easter. He is risen from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he gives us the opportunity for eternal life. And so we want to honor that and we want to celebrate that. And we're going to do that by partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so as we get ready to prepare, I'm going to ask our ushers at this time if you would come and, and uh, begin to prepare. And let me just tell you a few words as we get ready for this Lord's Supper. In just a moment, our ushers are going to take uh, these elements and they're going to pass them. And as you are there and receive that, just take the element and then hold on to it. There'll be the cup with a wafer and the juice. And just hold on to it until all people are served and we'll share some words and we'll partake in it together. This is something that is for believers. And, uh, and it is open for anyone who's ever made a decision for Christ. You don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a Baptist. But if you're a believer in Christ, we want you to partake of this. But now, if you're here today and you say, you know, I've never really made that decision for Christ then I would ask you that when the tray comes, you just go on and pass it to the next person because it's a commemoration, it's a memory, a reminder of Christ's body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us. And so for this as believers, it gives us this opportunity to take this. Whenever the Bible talks about partaking Lord's Supper, it says that we are to do this in remembrance of Christ. And that means that we are to take some moments and have our hearts ready. And that is that we are to remember what he did for us, but at the same time, begin to take an introspection as to how are we living for him. And may this be the day when you take these few moments and say, God, I got to get these things straight. Maybe it is wealth or money. And if we were honest, every one of us deals with it. Every one of us struggles with things that have to do with, with materials and, and wealth and money. Maybe there's some things that God spoke to your heart about that. Maybe it is something else completely different. And as you have been here, God's Spirit has spoken to your heart through the worship, through things that have been said. And you say, God, i got to get right with these things. So let's take these few moments and let me lead us in a word of prayer. And then uh, as soon as we finish the prayer, we'll begin to pass the elements and partake in those. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you that your son Jesus was willing to go from riches to poor in order to give us the riches of grace and blessings and to be heirs of all things. And Lord, in these moments, when we are holding on to those elements and we hold those in our hand, let us be reminded of what that means and be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could be your children, we could be a part of your family, we could be adopted into your family. We thank you for that, Lord. And so, Father, during these next moments, we pray that you will ready our hearts, have us prepared to be able to take of these elements and to give you the honor and glory that you so deserve. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.